0: Welcome once again to another episode of The Wall Behind and Beyond. I am your host, Philip A. Jones. As always, we bring you news and views from those most impacted by the criminal justice system. Today, we have a formerly incarcerated guest who goes by the name C. Dreams. She is a powerful voice for change and uses her voice and platform as a journalist to raise awareness and educate the public about carceral issues. Please welcome to the show. None other than C-Dreams, thank you, sister, for coming through. How you doing today?
1: Hi, Philip. I'm doing great, and um, I hope you're doing well, too. I'm really excited to be back here with you on the wall. It's a great opportunity, and, of course, as always, I enjoy the company, you. So it's a great day.
0: Absolutely. You already know for sure. I love having you on the show, too. This ain't your first time, you know what I mean because you're an outstanding guest, and you always spot on with your answers, um, and our guests really appreciate that, and I appreciate that too. We had you on, actually, a few weeks back, and you were speaking about someone you was advocating for who's still inside. Uh, can you update us on her current situation?
1: Yes, I can. So as I said last time, um, a few months ago through two mutual friends of mine, I found out about a young woman who, a young transgender woman who is incarcerated in the Georgia Department of Corrections. Her name is Christina Lynch. And um, I really, when I heard her story, it resonated with me really deeply because we have a couple things in common. She's a writer, you know, I'm a journalist, but also she is um, in seminary school. She's pursuing her degrees in theology, and, you know, I have degrees in religious studies and theology. And so, I also learned a lot about um, her fight with the Georgia Department of Corrections. She has been incarcerated for something over a decade, and um, she's won a couple legal actions against the Georgia Department of Corrections and and has held them accountable. And um, she actually has an attorney who is known for social activism, who is also a trans woman who takes a lot of cases. Her name is Lyra uh, Foster, and she takes a lot of cases for young men and women of color in the Atlanta area who maybe can't afford bond, or maybe the charges just don't seem to fit proportionally, or maybe they're having issues in a civil action. So she actually does a lot of the work about, like, you know, the justice work that we talk about. And so she met Christina, became friends, And eventually, over time, I heard both of their stories. And so now I try to support them, and I try to, you know, amplify Christina's story, and I try to amplify the advocacy that her attorney, Lyra, is doing. So, yeah, That's powerful
0: for me, and uh, I love hearing stories like that. You know, you're doing the advocacy work because I've been hearing and seeing a lot of the stuff you've been doing. You definitely are raising awareness. Uh, I'm so glad that you have partnered up um, and that you have come Uh, to the aid of someone else who was in your situation you had previously. I just like when I see people coming together for the right causes and the right reasons, and here on the wall behind and beyond, this is the type of stories we like to talk about because they're real life, and this is what people are going through every day uh, in this world, uh, carceral issues. So, thank you so much for that. I see in your bio where it says, as a theologian and historian, You study the intersection of religion with crime, punishment, and as well as rehabilitation. Can you break this down for our listeners?
1: Yes. So, um, (laughs) complicated question. So, as a theologian, I study several different areas of theology, one being liberation theology, another one being redemption theology. And so, I particularly am invested in a niche that is kind of, um, a hybrid of those areas and it's called prison theology and it's kind of just studying the impact of religion but specifically in my scenario i study christianity so studying the impact of religion on prisoners on their adjustment to um prison life on the way that it changes their behavior um but also interestingly a study you know it's the study related to how religion changes criminogenic factors and how it reduces recidivism rates and how it's also been shown to, in numerous studies, act as a crime deterrent. And so essentially what I do is I approach crime, punishment, and rehabilitation, the areas that mostly sociologists and um, criminologists study, but I approach it from the theological aspect. So I look at and I examine how sincere religious identification tends to have some of the most genuine and long-lasting rehabilitative impact on people, and um, we see that story kind of told over and over. And what's so interesting about it is that even though the modern prison industry does not resemble what the original intentions of the uh, you know the correction system was, the correction system was originally started by religious people, Quakers and Puritans, to try to remove corporal punishment and lifelong indenture, you know, and. In, in, servitude, essentially, and to rehabilitate people so that they would have options and they would be able to return to society and to contribute meaningfully as an individual to the community. And so that's what I continue to try to study, and I try to look at ways how community ties and how society, through the lens of um, religious or spiritual forces, can help actually motivate people to be rehabilitated, and I think that's kind of also the story of restorative justice and transformative justice. It's the idea that people can be liberated, they can be redeemed, and they can be better for it, so that's pretty much it.
0: (laughs) I like that, and that's a a good way to present that because a lot of times we don't think about spirituality or religion in terms of, you know, corrections or, you know, how we can improve as people uh, so that there's no need and it's not even necessary one to even be sent to prison Uh, but as you were speaking it started coming to me really clearly that this is a part of human evolution Um, you know making mistakes is human and then going within yourself spiritually finding uh, the root cause of your issue and then through you know your knowledge of God and spirituality are able to find a way to remedy uh, whatever is ailing you you know what I'm saying And we talk a lot about this on the show, whether it's it's a mental health concern or whether or not it's some type of trauma that a person is experiencing or suffering. I believe that through spiritual means, a lot of times, some of this stuff can be addressed. And so I'm so glad that you brought that up uh, because we don't usually tie that in.
1: True. Absolutely, and you know when we're talking about evolution and we're talking about religion, these two things—spirituality, religion, evolution—these the, things they actually give us an insight into people. Evolution, of course, it points to natural factors; it points to um, things in the environment, and it points to genetic factors. And sometimes we see this with mental health issues, and we see with addiction. These are criminogenic factors, causes of crime and mistakes, but. Religion gives us such a powerful insight into both sociological factors, but primarily psychological factors. And If you want to understand people, if you want to understand societies, you have to examine all of the the things, the ethos and the mores and the values that shape the identity, both of the individual and the collective community. And so I think that um, in modern sociology and criminology and kind of like criminal justice, one of the fundamental things, all the mental health stuff is definitely being centered more in the conversation as well as substance addiction is. I think that the psychological and sociological implications of religious identification or spiritual identification, I think they are grossly overlooked, and I think that it's a disservice because the studies, the data, the little bit that has been done has shown that um religion... Or spirituality, or any type of um, connection with a higher power, even deeper philosophical contemplation, have been shown to drastically reduce recidivism rates, right? like drastically.
0: I I love it. I keep on preaching because you know what I'm saying. You're talking some good stuff, and it's all true. A lot of times on the show, the listeners are saying, you know, they're hearing things uh, that they never before considered or connected. So. You know, I mean, keep preaching it because what you're saying is really imperative right now, and we need to hear some some truth about how we can better improve our system. Not only that, but us as individuals. So, also, you have your diploma in paralegal studies, and you specialize in civil litigation. How were you able to accomplish so much being inside at that time?
1: Um. Whew. I don't. I know there are probably going to be some people that listen that are not religious, but I truly give glory to God for creating opportunities, and then I give myself credit for maximizing the opportunities, like being a steward of them and, and taking appropriate advantage of them. So I wrote literally hundreds of letters, like when I say hundreds, that's not an exaggeration, I wrote literally hundreds of letters to acquire financial sponsors to support my education. But also through my advocacy behind the bars and writing, because I began writing for Transgender Cafe, um, years ago, through these venues, I met people who helped me network and who supported my cause and who were um, using their circles and their resources to help support my education. I had major concerns that I wasn't going to be able to, number one, I went to seminary. I didn't go to a secular school to get my degrees in theology and religious studies. And so, while my degrees are valid, they're not necessarily valid in academic circles. Like, so I'm not going to get a job at, like, Cornell University. It's unlikely that that would happen. Um, so ultimately, I wanted to teach at the seminary, and I wanted to teach kind of like alternative theology approaches. But I was concerned that I may, because of my convictions, have hurdles. And so I realized I was like, I'm kind of good at this law thing. Let's go ahead and get a paralegal certification so that that is a a venue for the future. Because I think that some of, I think one of the most potent ways that we fashion change, long-lasting, meaningful change is unfortunately through, you know, through litigation. It seems like a lot of the crucial, um, pivotal issues of our time and the times that have gone before in the past have been settled not through the good humanity and reasoning of legislators, but unfortunately through the persistence and the tenacity of people who are willing to litigate through the court system. So I wanted to enable myself, even in a more modest capacity, to be able to enter that space and to contribute to it. And so that is why, you know, I try to partner with organizations like um, Trans Family Network and um, Ignite Justice and um, FAIR, which
0: well, you are a powerful voice, um, and you are an advocate as well as an activist. I was going to follow up on what you said. In a free society, it is amazing because we get a chance to bring suit against our laws to make them change, or to make somebody be held accountable for actions taken as injurious. But when you hold people accountable, Uh, When you're able to hit people where you're hurt, they are forced to have no choice but to uh, make changes. So that's the beauty of us having um, a system where we can bring suit to bring about justice. So I appreciate you talking about that and you studying and also being a champion uh, in that area as well, you know.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, so much. I appreciate that. I feel like in this modern fight for kind of real justice and real equality and just systems in place that are humane and that are redemptive and that look for the best in people despite their worst moments. I feel like we have to fashion and have at our disposal every tool possible different organizations that are trying to change sentencing practices like fair fighting against institutionalized railroading and ignite justice and all these grassroots groups and these more organized groups they are they are cooperating with people like you who are podcasters and with writers and with advocates and lawyers
0: thank you so much for saying that and shout out to Fair and our home girl and our sister in the struggle, Demeter Bishop, you know what I'm saying? Shout out. They're doing big things over there, and everybody who is a part of that organization, y'all keep doing what y'all doing. So I said that to say, saying there's people out here that's fighting. All we got to do is join forces, and we can make big, tremendous change. So with that being said, you're also a journalist as well. Uh, what drives you to keep writing, and what subjects are you most passionate about?
1: The subjects I'm most passionate about i like to write about any topic that relates to surveillance policing criminalization incarceration or rehabilitative justice and you have 60 seconds remaining and the reason why is because these are not they're not amplified enough and i know i know just how important these issues are and how inflammatory they are most journalists most writers don't want to put their time into covering these topics because, unfortunately, a large swath of the American public is have 30 interested seconds remaining. in it. They're not vested in it. And so I feel like there are stories that need to be told. They need to be amplified. But also we have to reprogram readers and listeners away from the political and cultural rhetoric that has them brainwashed against true justice and true restoration.
0: For sure. I'll be back. We're going to pick up on the other side of that. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and sharing my podcast. Here are three ways to help me today. Consider donating, if you can, to my GoFundMe for my freedom efforts. You can find that by typing in Incarcerated Lives Matter, Philip Alvin Jones on GoFundMe. Subscribe today to my YouTube channel, The Wall Behind and Beyond. Comment and share. We are on our journey to a thousand subscribers. We can do this. Visit GrandPeroleToPhilip.com. It's a one-stop shop that has my direct contact info and awesome social media sites. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to help in any way with Team Phillip. Thank you, and keep listening to The Wall, Behind and Beyond. What I wanted to say to C. Dreams, um, in terms of what you just spoke of, is that writing is something for me that I am not particularly geared toward, like I was telling you the other day. But it's so necessary, uh, because not only are you putting information and knowledge out there uh, to help educate the masses, but you're also leaving something for posterity, so that when people come after us, they have a road map. They have breadcrumbs to follow, so they can keep the work going, because long after we're not here, the work still has to be done, because it's never going to be finished until justice for all. And so I love that you're writing and we, even if we don't favor it too much, keep writing. Everybody keep writing, telling the truth, putting all the facts out there. And I just wanted to commend you uh, for doing that and doing so many other things as well at the same time.
1: Oh Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And as you kind of alluded to there, one of the main purposes for writing is not just to amplify the story of, of the people that are impacted by the situation, but it's also to compel transparency because the powers that be, the establishment, the policing authorities, the governmental authorities, the legislative authorities, they try to get away with so much. And the sheer amount of, forget constitutional violations, because those are voluminous. The sheer amount of human rights violations, which are a great multiplicity, but exist in America's various prison systems, is frightening, it's staggering, it's mind-blowing. And if these types of things were happening in any other type of context or tableau they would not be tolerated they would be canceled they would be shut down they would be protested boycotted all types of things and so we have to compel transparency because if we don't um if we don't force exposure of the great just travesties that are occurring inside of America's prisons and inside of its courthouses and its jails and its prosecutorial processes if we don't do that, then we allow this cancer, truly a, a, hum, a humanity cancer, to just go unfettered, and we can't do that because we know what happens if cancer goes un, un, unrestrained.
0: That's powerful for sure, and I mirror everything you're saying. That's why I love having you on the show because you're coming with that raw perspective. What would you like to see change in terms of criminal justice or prison reform? Whew.
1: I would like to see, you know, can I give you my wish list or do you want my practical list?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Give me both. I don't mind. We got time.
1: (laughs) My wish list is I would like a complete overhaul of the prison system. Now, I can't quite, now I'm definitely a prison conditions reform advocate, but I can't quite claim to be a wholehearted abolitionist um, simply because I lack a proper, alternative mentally in my head to shape in place of the prison system if we were completely to do away with it. But ideally, in an idyllic world, I would like to see restorative justice that is community centered, that focuses on enmeshing individuals with the community and moving people away from self-centered identities but helping them to see that they're part of a collective because a lot of the harms that are commissioned by people, they're commissioned, number one, out of criminogenic factors. Don't get me wrong. Number two, they're commissioned primarily because people don't see themselves as attached to, interconnected, and intertwined with everybody else around them. They see themselves as highly individualistic. And we see it in our rhetoric. We see it in the way that we encourage sports and school. The whole attitude that we have garnered in our modern society is, Succeed no matter what, you know, screw everybody else, cut them off at the knees, do whatever it takes. These types of phrases, they seem harmless until you realize that they're really a type of um, social programming, honestly. And so I would like to see more community-centeredness. I would like to see, obviously, an allocation of funds to poor areas. I think that it doesn't make sense that if you take this one district here, that 75,000 people live in it and they're mostly white, but then you have this other secondary district that has 200 – plus 1,000 people living in it, and they're mostly brown and black. Somehow, these 75,000 predominantly white people end up with more state and federal dollars. They end up with the better pick of educators with better educational pedigree. They end up with better staffing and infrastructure and programming and resources in this area compared to the area with the larger population and thus the larger need. So I would like to see um, resource and finance allocation that actually suits communities. I would like to see um, more programs that are meant to deter gang, youth gang um, affiliation. That's a big one to me. I also have a really controversial view about declaring gangs domestic terrorists. We can get into that if you want to. I would also really genuinely love to see Court Watch Group, given some type of actual sanctioning power so that when they see illegal, unconstitutional, or even just um, prejudicial stuff happening at the level of the trial court, that they're able to stop it, cut it dead, and sanction the people, the prosecutors or judges that are involved. I would like to see different levels of citizen or supervisory panels over prisons and over the parole boards. And these groups would be just average people like mailmen, grocer, doctor, cat babysitter, you know, anybody. And uh, it would kind of be like jury duty and you would get a salary for it and you would be excused from your regular job with the promise that you could return to your job and you would do it for a year, okay? And this this would allow a level of transparency and it would also make sure that these institutions don't get steeped into um, good old boy systems. I would like to see the utter and complete deprivatization of prisons. They're, they're, my list is super long, so, <laughs> you know,
0: Wow, that's crazy that you said so many solutions to our problem, and it sounds like you're basically talking about what we're doing at Inside Outside Consults. Have you ever thought about being on the board of a nonprofit? Because we sure could use you. You are breaking down exactly what it will take for prisons at some point to become obsolete so that we won't need them. We need them right now because we don't have an alternative, but with all you just said, and you had some more to say about it, which I, I, I want to hear more about. So you can continue with that, but think about joining us at Inside Outside Consults because we can show you somebody on the board who has all those ideas. It's also
1: powerful. You know, I would love to. If you would like to talk about that um, at another time, I would love to do that. I think that is a, so awesome that you're offering me that opportunity. I think that the work that you guys are doing over there is ground-shaking, and it's important. And what's so powerful about it is it's not just people who um, are speaking for the subaltern of incarcerated people. You actually have people who have been impacted by the justice system are helping think tank and shape policies. So that, to me, is is super critical. Um, But to go on about my list, I think that some of the other things that we would need to see is we would need to see a kind of systemized camaraderie between all of the different social justice-oriented forms of activism. For example, harm reduction and decarceration activism have so much in common. And in fact, could benefit both movements, both agendas could benefit very much so from cooperation that we have to sit down and we have to address. And it's not any single one of us. It's not even a single generation, you know, like um, Mariam Kaba. I don't know if you know who she is. Mariam Kaba is a big abolitionist and writer, and, but she once wrote something along the lines of, it's not about, and I'm paraphrasing here, it's not about your individual activism or my individual activism none of us are infecting, are going to affect the change in and of ourselves. It's my little bit combined with your little bit, So we've got a long way to go.
0: Appreciate the list you had. In, uh, in order for us to solve the problems of our society, we've got to do one thing at a time, maybe a few things, but the overall picture of it cannot be solved in one day or one night. Uh, so each person has to start with those. Run for office, uh, get in there and tell the truth, try to straighten out that mess. Uh, over there in D.C. or in your local election. But get involved some way and vote. That's the most important thing.
1: Absolutely, 100%. I totally agree with you.
0: Absolutely. You know, we're going to definitely have to do a follow-up show uh, because these issues are important. And uh, we didn't win, you know, all over the place just now. But it is what it is because the people need to hear it and it stimulate stock. What will be the focus that you have in the future? Uh, what kind of work do you see yourself doing with your career going
1: forward? So, um, I would like to get involved with like a policy think tank type of organization. I would like to do like public speaking and stuff like that. I'm eventually, I don't know when, <laughs> I'm eventually going to write a book, but I really want to just get involved um, with an organization. That's primarily what I want to do. It's It's really tough to be able to pursue your passion, especially if your passion is activism and have a career out of it, but I'm determined to do it. And, um, you know, if I could team up with an organization that there's room for me as a think tank consultant because of my background in scholarship or capacity as like a paralegal or, or something, I don't know, like, you know, I just, I'm still trying to figure out that direction, but ultimately I know that I want to serve people and I want to promote community. And I want to try to dismantle these really destructive, pernicious, failing types of rhetoric and commentary that... We have 60 seconds remaining. You know, we we have to begin to promote people. And the idea that people are always perfect or the idea that people are defined by their worst moments or their worst offense, their worst charge. It's a ludicrous one. that has to. It has to be challenged, and I'm willing to fight it.
0: For sure, and thank you for doing that and staying ahead of this game, making sure that you're always there to answer the unanswerable questions. I want to...
1: You have 30 seconds remaining.
0: I really want you to join forces with us, and when you get a moment, check out what we're doing. Uh, look up uh, Inside Outside Consults. I think you can have a place there, and that's just because of what you're saying right now. I can tell you that myself, as a, as a founder of this nonprofit, uh, we need someone like you. So I really, I've never said that to anybody on the show, but I want you to look into it and see what you can see if it fits you.
1: Oh my gosh! Well, thank you so much, Philip. I definitely will, and I will definitely get in touch with you. I will have your assistant set up an appointment, and we will will chat. I would love to very, very much.
0: Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and sharing my podcast. Here are three ways to help me today. Consider donating, if you can, to my GoFundMe for my freedom efforts. You can find that by typing in Incarcerated Lives Matter, Philip Alvin Jones on GoFundMe. Subscribe today to my YouTube channel, The Wall Behind and Beyond. Comment and share. We are on our journey to a thousand subscribers. We can do this. Visit GrantParodafillip.com. It's a one-stop shop that has my direct contact info and awesome social media sites. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to help in any way with Team Phillips. Thank you, and keep listening to The Wall, behind and beyond. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, on the other side, talking to C. Dreams. Y'all know she got all the information, you know, available for anybody that has any questions because she's, uh, she's an intellectual, and she's got the answer. So holler at her, check her out, and see what she's doing. If you follow her, you're going to be led in the right direction. But uh, before I was able to go off the phone, I started talking about something, and it all leads to community building. And so for those of us in this line of work, for those of us passionate about the issues, for those of us who are out here on the front line fighting every day, for change and justice and equality, we got to formulate a community, not just a social media community, but a true community uh, where we all can call on each other, where we're all in each other's Rolodex, where we're all accessible to each other, because when one lifts, we all lift, and that's a part of my motto. Um, So I don't want to get sidetracked, but I was thinking about that uh, when we went off, and now we're back on the other side. You um, are also a champion of causes for the LGBTQ, as you yourself are transgender. Tell us how you tie in your advocacy uh, with criminal justice and prison reform.
1: Well, primarily by trying to provide resource and comfort pen pal to several trans prisoners that I know that I've gotten contact with. By um, trying to make little donations like when I can to um, trans-oriented Publications that come into the prison system like Black and Pink and just trying to amplify their stories. A lot of times I tell stories in my um, journalism about trans prisoners that I know and how the situation particularly impacts them. And for me, as a trans woman that was incarcerated, and um, you see my pictures, <laughs> so incarcerated as I look in a men's prison was indescribably difficult, indescribably difficult. So I feel like when I talk about criminal justice and I talk about decarceration and if I talk about um, prison conditions of confinement and humane incarceration, I have to at some point um center trans prisoners because as difficult as prison can be and as unfair as the criminal justice and the prison systems can be, they're even more so for particularly vulnerable groups. So if it's if as bad as it may be for a black man or a black woman, if you drop a black trans man into a woman's prison or a, a trans woman of color into a men's prison, you have a recipe there for potential, like, disaster. And um, so I try to, number one, advocate for medical care for these trans prisoners to make sure that they are being able to continue their spectrum of transition. I try to make sure that they are housed safely and that they are at prisons and in living units where they are um, being kept secure and safe and other needs are being met, and most importantly, because in my experience, it's oftentimes the people who are paid and entrusted by oath to protect them and to ensure their care are the ones who are oftentimes failing to treat them with simple human dignity, and who are often abusing them. It's, it's more times the correctional officers than it is the uh, the fellow incarcerated people. So um, the way I kind of tie those all together is by advancing the narratives together and showing how. How we respond to one of the issues is indicative of how we'll respond to the other.
0: I love that. And as you were talking, again, you know, I had thoughts running through my mind and I was listening intently. I tend to think that there's easy solutions to these problems if they would really uh, put enough care and concern into the issue. Uh, If you're going to have LGBTQ or trans populations in a men's prison, depending on which uh, direction the person identifies as, but you could have a wing completely uh, dedicated to the care of trans men and women and have people that work there that specialize in trans care, uh, understanding and educational issues. They can do that. They have the resources. If you have a prison that has six or seven different units, why not have one unit or one wing committed just for that? So therefore, not to say that you're isolated, but to say that you live around uh, people who are in the same situation, um, therefore having compassion, uh, understanding, and, you know, uh, care or, or for your situation. So I know that it's not an a easy fix. Uh, But I also know that there's ways that you can mitigate circumstances so that people are safe and they're living in an environment where they're not oppressed, you know?
1: Yeah, and it's not even so much about putting like birds with like birds. It's also about just being more selective and more careful in your screening process to ensure that the other non-LGBT prisoners who you're placing in the housing unit are at least sympathetic or are at least neutral in sentiment regarding LGBT people rather than putting people who are, like, gang-affiliated or maybe, you know, they're super, super sincere um, religious convictions or maybe they have trauma from their own life that makes them have a disposition that is disinclined to be around LGBT people. So it's it's about, and think about it, prisons are supposed to. Prisons are constitutionally required to practice sound stratification. Stratification is a process of of trying to cultivate a security environment where as many people as possible are compatible. So, you know, it comes down to a legal phrase called deliberate disregard or deliberate indifference. What it is, is it's not that these prison officials don't know what they should do. It's not that they cannot come up with reasonable solutions. It's not that they've never heard these pragmatic solutions. It's really, truly that they do not care. They genuinely do not care.
0: Absolutely. Y'all hear it, you know, and uh, I tend to agree. There's more that should be done, and uh, it's all about tolerance. Anything else you would like the listeners to take away from this most powerful discussion we had today?
1: I want to call out one thing. You know, if if you hear this and you're an activist in Missouri, specifically the St. Louis area, I know several friends who are activists out there who are homeless activists. They're feeding the homeless. I don't know if you know this, Philip, but recently it came to light that Missouri, specifically the St. Louis area, has a law that makes it a crime to feed homeless people or to give them blankets and stuff. So if you know somebody in the Missouri area, you live there, whatever, I want you to start calling on your legislators because when we create a culture that allows a state or a city to pass an ordinance or a statue that criminalizes us taking care of people, we have really begun to get a true glimpse into the depth of the soul of American culture. And let me tell you, it is not beautiful what I see. I think that this story, this fact about how this state has penalized people for feeding and taking care of their fellow men and women who are unhoused and who are at a disadvantage, it shows us truly the powers that be. It shows their whole mindset. We do not live in a progressive country. We do not live in a liberated country. We do not live in the land of the free, and we certainly do not live in a land that is lit like a beacon with hope, and that story relates mm-hmm. that.
0: That's sad, and uh, it shouldn't be taking place. Um, I hadn't heard about it, but I'm definitely going to look into it now and try to amplify or magnify the story uh, so that more people can give assistance or lend a hand um, into remedy in that situation down there. And thank you so much for bringing that to our attention. Um, This is what we do, you know what I'm saying? It's all about raising awareness. Uh, If we can get one person to learn something new or hear something that they didn't know about and take part in trying to make a change, uh, then we did our job. It's not all about a million followers and listeners for me. It's about reaching one person, each one reach one. So with that being said, how do people get in touch with you and if they want to follow you, assist you, work with you, or donate to you, what do they need to do? Because you're doing great work, and this work needs to be supported.
1: Thank you so much. So, yeah, um, if you want to get in contact with me, there are a couple ways. The first way is primarily Twitter. I love Twitter. I'm at Uncaged Critique on Twitter. That's U N C A G E D C R I T I Q U E. Uncaged Critique. Also, my email is, Uncagedcritique at UncagedCritique@gmail.com, and if you'd like to send a donation to help support my various types of advocacy, my projects, things that I'm doing, etc., you can of course send me a cash app. Again, Uncaged Critique, and um, yeah, you know I appreciate. Anybody that wants to collaborate with me um, or I, they have projects going on, things that I can help promote, I'm super interested and versatile in a bunch of things just about social and criminal justice. So reach out to me because I want to be on the team. <laughs>
0: Most definitely. We want you on the team. You know what I'm saying? And you're doing big things. I'm proud of you. Uh, we're going to keep in touch. Uh, and for sure, you've got to come back because I see that there's so many topics that you're passionate about. Look her up, y'all. Follow her, support her. You know what I'm saying? She's doing a lot of good work in the community, and she's still holding it down for those um, still inside. So I want to thank you, She Dreams, for joining us. We look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Take care, and the most important thing, stay up, because I know it gets tough sometimes.
1: Thank you so much. You take care. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Philip. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speaker or our guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of The Wall Behind and Beyond. As always, I want to give a special thanks to our listeners for your continued support of The Wall Behind and Beyond. And if you haven't already, I ask that you go and subscribe to our YouTube channel at The Wall Behind and Beyond. We want to be able to notify you every week when a new episode drops so you get exclusive access. Also, share the episode that you like with friends and post our links on your socials. You guys are the show. And as we grow, we will bring you more quality content. Remember, I am because we are. If you want to get a hold of me direct, I can be reached via email at www.jpay.com, eight eight one five zero seven Washington State. Take care, everyone, and be well.